Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Let's take a bite of the Big Apple with Newsday's Barbara Barker, who covers the Brooklyn Nets. I think it's fair to say, Barbara, that of all the series, the Nets-Celtic series is the most compelling. I think there's so many storylines here. I mean, you could, I mean, start with Kyrie Irving, who, you know, left and he's not a favored uh, player in Boston right there and you know he left them came here I know that was a couple of years ago but people still remember that obviously so that's a storyline I mean the fact that the Nets beat them what 4-1 last year I mean this is a completely different I mean this is not the Boston team they beat last year by any you know stretch of the imagination in the first round but there is you know I guess there's a revenge factor there I mean you know, the two towns, you know, Boston, New York, I don't care what sport you're in, that's a rivalry. And then it's just the players themselves. I mean, Jason Tatum, you know, dropped, you know, 50 plus, was it 50? Yeah, 51 or whatever it was on them, you know, in their last meeting. Um, I mean, there's there's just a lot of good storylines there, Howard. Uh, it was 54, actually, but, and the Celtics. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it's you. okay. Like, ah. That's okay. Yeah. The Celtics have beaten the Nets three out of four meetings during the regular year. But the, reg- the regular year, it's fine, but the only thing you learn there is when you look at the tape and you try to learn from a matchup point of view, the Celtics won't have Robert Williams, uh, right. unlikely anyway. And I, when Bruce Brown made a comment to that effect the other day, it kind of got reprimanded by Kevin Durant. Like, he, he didn't want to talk about players to give him extra incentive. And I agree with Durant, but, you know, Bruce Brown said what he said. I don't know the guy. You know him better than I do. Uh, probably, he probably had a chance. To, if he had a chance to change that, he probably would have done it. I mean, he he answered a question pretty accurately. I kind of, you know, semi agree with you know what he said, but and, and I think also Bruce Brown's from Boston, so I mean he's pretty pumped up for this series, and you know he just said what he said, and you know Kevin Durant is the type of guy that. Um, uh, Kevin Durant, you know, type of guy. He's not, you know, giving, you know, he's just gonna say, you know, nice things about you until you're in, you know, until he figures he's a competitor. Until he figures saying something not nice about you might give him the edge. And that was not, you know, I mean, yeah, he definitely. The first thing I was there, he came right in because I didn't even really think about what Bruce Brown said. I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, I didn't think that anyone would get mad about it, right? I, I didn't say, you know, it, flashing in front of my eyes wasn't the word bulletin board material and um 
until I reread it and I could construe it that way. But Durant came in and someone must have told him the way it's set up, they're on like a little stage or diet, you know, diet there. And as he came in, somebody must have said to him, well, you can't believe what Bruce said. And he didn't know what he said. He asked us what he said. I mean, he had heard something about it. And he was, yeah, he was definitely not pleased about it. Uh, when it comes to uh, the, the playing game the other day against Cleveland, the Nets torched Cleveland for two and a half quarters. And then, like you see in every NBA game, the other team makes a run. And they whittled away the lead to where it got a little uncomfortable. Uh, but then when it came down to crunch time, Kevin Durant hits big shot after yeah. big shot. Uh, yeah. Kyrie Irving hits big shot after big shot. I mean, look, the, the, the Nets will go as far as those two guys take them. And the Celtics will go as far as Jason Tatum will take them. So... Talk about the matchup. Jason Tatum has been defended by Bruce Brown, although he, he didn't have a lot of success. Kevin Durant wound up guarding Jason Tatum at, at times during their last meeting. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're going to do. And it's really hard. The last meeting is really the only one you could judge up because, you know, even though you were talking of winning three or four, two of those games had a lineup that was missing both, both KD and Kyrie. All right, so that's not the Nets team that was playing, all right, in those two games. So really, and I, they play one at the beginning of the year where I think they had both players because I think it was there. So really, it's more like a one-and-one. One. If you, if you, and I think the Nets won. No, wait. I did the Nets win that one? Mm, I'm not sure. I don't have it in front of me. But um, I'm saying you can't really – well, it's so hard to gauge the Nets because they've had so many different lineups and the whole thing with Kyrie not being around and – you know, and then hard, it's just really hard to gauge the Nets by what they did during the regular season. And like you said, it's all those two guys. I mean, but can two great players, I mean, one incredibly great player and one great player, are they enough when your team doesn't play defense consistently and has all kinds of other, you know, holes? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's just interesting. It's really going to be a measure I don't know. I think any team, someone, you know, any team with Kevin Durant, uh, I, I think could get to the NBA Finals. I, I, I really do at this point with healthy Kevin Durant. I, I, I mean, it, it, and he gets help from other people. I mean, he, I think he's that much of a competitor and great player. But we both agree that the Nets' defense is questionable at best. I mean, just look at the Cleveland game. I counted eight layups that Cleveland had in about a three-minute span. Uh, that that's not going to work against Boston. So how do the Nets shore up the defense? Uh, Andre Drummond, can he be that rim protector? Well, I mean, Andre Drummond, I mean, the addition of, uh, you know, so much was made of Ben Simmons, you know, coming to the Nets and who knows if he's ever going to play, all right? I mean, it depends how deep they go. Um, so, so much was made of that. But you, you look at Andre Drummond, Drummond, Seth Curry, who were supposed to be the complementary pieces. I mean, Seth has been injured. That's a, he's a big question mark because they need him to be that third score that spreads out the floor. All right? So, but those two guys and Andre Drummond, I mean, the Nets were like regularly outbeat, out-rebounded by a tremendous amount in the early part of the year until Drummond got here. You know? So, I mean, he, he – has the potential they are better and i think yeah two of, i think two of those games that they played them were before those guys yeah before those guys were there so it's like a completely different team but i i i, I think has the potential i mean overall i think overall boss there's other 
many factors why Boston is a better team, all right? But I think the Nets have the best player on the floor and maybe the third best player, maybe tied for second best player. Yeah. I don't know on the floor. You know, I, 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 I would debate about that. But I would put, you know, Kevin ahead of, you know, Jason Tatum. Yeah, no, I would agree. She's Barbara Barker uh, as we take a bite of the Big Apple with uh, the person that's been covering the Nets all year. The Nets have had 42 different lineups this year out of 82 games. And, you know, the and the contributing factors have been Durant missed, I think, 20 games, and then Kyrie was in and out, wasn't able to play at home. But now this is where they are. And it's interesting to note, and I think you'll agree with me, I think Milwaukee tanked the other day to avoid playing the Nets. Uh, Heck yes. I think, and I think it's – yeah, I mean, who did they, you know, they don't play Giannis. They, I mean, they didn't play – what? how many of their starters? Three? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah, they didn't play three of their – I mean, I personally feel – I mean, maybe that was a smart thing to do. Uh, Boston, you know, Boston played the win, though. I mean, I, I, think that was, I think that was a really smart thing to do. But I also think – I'm always like when a team does that – it always comes. Sometimes things it comes back to bite you. I don't know why. I, I don't. I don't. You know. I mean, do you want to be the team that tanks and then ends up like having a big problem anyway? I don't. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I don't. First of all, playing Chicago is not going to be a problem because they're all banged up. Right. But right, right, but right. you listened to the Boston coach yesterday. He basically said, when asked about avoiding playing the Nets. He said, I can't be concerned about that. We play to win every game. And the last game, they played all their starters. So he, yeah. was, he was true to his word. Look, this yeah. is a series. I personally believe, Barbara, that it's going to go six, seven games. I think it's going to be a knockdown, drag out, very physical series. How do you feel? I, I definitely feel it's going to go six, seven games. I mean, it ought to be interesting if the Nets can take one up in Boston. All right? I, I you know... I I, I I actually think it could go two two. Although a home court advantage is not like, you know, for the Nets is not that big of a deal. And you know they they have a really good uh, you know record away. So I mean it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the first two games. All right. Um, and yeah, I I I think I haven't had to make my prediction yet, but I was going to probably predict seven. Yeah. You know, maybe you know maybe maybe I've just seen I. I've I've been at a lot of the you know I've been at every Nets game this year, but I've been at a ton of them, and I've been at the the games. I've seen some you know really impressive wins by them. So, you know when they had the right people there, I've you know also seen some bad losses. But it, it's interesting what you bring up because it is the whole NBA fall behind by twenty three and then win the game or or have a twenty three point lead and then you know you know almost lose. I mean, it, but but the Nets personify that trend maybe more than any team i don't have that statistically proven but it just you know anecdotally from teams i bet it happens all the time i mean they were leading 40 to 20 at the end of the first quarter of cleveland yep you know and it's a five-point game with what eight minutes left or something i forget with a eight or nine minutes left and yep. it was sort of you know katie had katie had to uh, knock down a bunch of uh shots the other interesting thing about that game howard is just how you know Kyrie, Kyrie hit his first 12 shots. I mean, you know, if he comes out like that and can really, so Kevin doesn't have to do everything. So it's not like, you know, because he's, you know, getting double and triple teamed. So he doesn't have to do everything if Kyrie can do that or if they can have Seth come out and do, you know, I, I think his ankle is hurt way more than 
than people are letting on. Right? So I, that's a ongoing problem, I think. And I, I actually think that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch. And, you know, if, if he can be the third guy, it will be interesting. Well, since, um, uh, uh, since I want to say March 1st, Jason Tatum has been on a tear. He's averaging 31 points a game. He's shooting 53%. He's shooting 43% from the three-point line. Who defends him? Because Bruce Brown has had his chances. They've not been successful. That makes the question, and who does defend Tatum, number one? Number two, who defends Kyrie from Boston's side? Is it going to be Marcus Smart? I think it's going to be that one. I think it will be Marcus Smart, all right? So... I, I, I don't know for sure, but I, 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 I'm pretty sure that that would be, and Marcus Smart could give him problems. That's an interesting matchup, all right? As far as what you do with Jason, Tam, I don't, I mean, the, the Nets are not tipping their hand yet. Maybe it's Brown again with a lot of people helping out. I mean, I think they got to throw the kitchen sink at this guy because, like you said, I mean, he really is on the edge of the MVP conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not going to win the MVP, but he's, you know, the way he's played down the stretch, the way they played. I mean, people forget Boston got off to a terrible start. Right. right? So, I mean, and I think since February 1st or, you know, late January, nobody has played like that. Uh, I'll take it a step further. Since the All-Star break, they're 17 and 5. Uh, oh, okay. They, they, you're right. I mean, they've lost five times yep. to All Star break. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be in my story tomorrow. <laughs> look, look, my my old my old partner in Boston, Cedric Maxwell, who still does their radio. Uh, uh-huh. I asked him about why the slow start. He says it was a combination of things: the adjustment to the new head coach. But once that happened, they got adjusted to him. He got adjusted to them. And things started to to gather some steam. But you could say the same thing about Toronto. They also got off to a slow start and then had a finishing kick. So, uh, personally, uh, to get off the subject for a second, I think Toronto's going to give Philadelphia a lot more than they think. Matter of fact, I'm going to go so far as to say they're going to beat them in the series. Wow. Wow. I don't know if I'll agree with you on that. I want to see Philadelphia advance, all right? All right? Because I... I somehow just really want a Philadelphia Nets series, which probably, you know, that is a lot of things have to happen for that to happen. But I mean, as a, as a writer, I'd love to see that. But I mean, Toronto, I mean, I mean uh, they, have re- I, they, they, they have really come together. It's interesting about the new coach thing. I mean, what is it about Boston that they like, they seem, not seamlessly, but they, I guess it's just a well-run team. They always seem to kind of make these traditions or transitions and then either rebuild or regroup in a couple of years. I mean, obviously over the years, there's been some points where they didn't, but I mean, you, you, you gotta like the way that this guy brought the team together after, you know, it was kind of weird when they changed coaches last year and people were a little like, Oh, okay. Right. But it's, very interesting. I thought that Brad Stevens was, uh, did a good job, and I th- and I think he's a good coach. Yeah. But so I don't know what led to his leaving the sidelines, but now he's in a different position, and I have a feeling. I mean, look, I remember. Didn't want to put in that, maybe didn't want to, you know, maybe didn't want to travel. I mean, I don't know. I think he has young kids. I mean, people don't sometimes make decisions like that. But I, I mean, I don't know. I have no, I, I, I have no idea because I thought it was kind of. I thought, you know, over the course, you know, I thought he did a good job. There could have been some chemistry things too, though. But could be. Know. Could could be. Let me ask you this. I'm watching an interview this morning 
with Greg Popovich after the Spurs got knocked off last night yeah. uh, by uh, by New Orleans. And, and look, Popovich has made a career out of being very short with the media. I asked him a question last night. Are you going to step away after the season or have you not made that decision yet? And Popovich looked at the reporter and said, that's an inappropriate question. Now, first of all, I didn't think it was an inappropriate question. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was the right question. Are you going to leave? Look, I, he could have answered it a different way. But have you ever come across in all the press conferences you've been to where you asked a question and the subject matter was very rude to you? And how do you respond? Well, the, yes, I did, and it was in Boston, and I asked a question of Bill Belichick, all right? And he was there. I mean, it was like, you know, I remember this so well, because I went up there to, you know, to do a certain story on the quarterback situation at the time, and I dared ask a question about Tom Brady, which you think everybody in Boston would be asking the same question. He said we're talking about the third-string offensive lineman or something like that. And so I asked this question, and I – and I can't remember what he said. He just sort of, you know, tore me a new one, I guess. Excuse my language. And, and I mean, it was, you know, I knew I had to ask the question. And then, like, my question was played over and over again on Boston radio. <laughs> so, like, you know, can you believe she asked this question about Tom Brady? I mean, I think I asked, like, you know, is he, uh, you know, do you think he's going to play this way? It was just a, you know. Does anybody else care about anybody else but Tom Brady? Probably not. I mean, if you're not from Boston, right? So, I mean, you got to ask that question. So, yeah, it was it was kind of funny. But, oh, sure, a lot of times, you know, a lot of that's manipulative. Pop is a pretty good guy, all right? I mean, I've talked to him over the years. He's a pretty good guy. But he knows how to, like, shut people down, and he could be kind of cranky. You just can't take it personally. No, you're right. Before I let you go, I'll give you one example. Uh, I'm, I'm interviewing Nick Saban, and Saban, I asked him a, an obvious question. I said, when he, be, he took the Miami Dolphins job, and I said, you know, history shows that the transition from college to football, to pro football, has not worked with the exception of Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carroll. Uh, how are you preparing yourself to make that transition? That was my question. He looked at me, and he gave me some really snar snarly really rude answer and I said hey coach I haven't shown you disrespect why are you giving me disrespect what did I say to you that was so wrong he looked at me and he goes well I don't like your tone I said oh okay that's different <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah yeah well you fired back I usually just don't say anything I just you know sort of like interiorly roll my eyes you know what I mean but um yeah, I mean, you know, it's part of it. It's part of the job. I don't really, you know, I, unless someone is outright like insult you, which I've really never really had happen. Well, you know, early in my career, there weren't too many female sports writers and people would outright insult you. All right, but I mean, I guess that kind of made me tougher later on. No, nah, well, you know, it it comes with the territory. But let's deal with the series now with the Nets okay. and the Celtics. Um, if you were sit, if I asked you to make a prediction on the outcome of this series. You know, you've already said that usually the team with the best player emerges. Is that the way you're looking at it? Uh, you know, I'm going to pick seven games. I really have not decided who I'm going to pick yet. I'm going to pick one. I mean, I, I'm going to pick seven games, but I just don't know. 
I mean, I, I, I mean, in this one, it, it just depends. Can the, I mean, uh, was Kevin Durant the best player when they played Milwaukee last year? All right. Um, I would argue that he that he might have been the be- might have been better than Giannis on the floor, but the best player. I mean, the way he was playing, he had to carry the team alone. Nobody was there, and he stepped over a line. You know, so things can happen. But so I don't know. Who I'm going to pick. I haven't decided yet. I, I, I mean, a couple people have asked me, and I just I don't know. Maybe I'll just pick the Nets just to see. But I'm not. I, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'm going to pick the Nets in six. I don't think it's going to go seven. If it goes seven, then I like Boston. I like Boston with the home court. But I'm going to pick up. I like that pick. All right, there you go. All right, then I'll take the Nets in seven. How about that? All right, that's great. All right, well, you got got something to run to, so I appreciate your your insight, and you stay safe. I I do. Thanks for letting me go, and uh, take care. All right, talk later. Bye-bye. Okay. Barbara Barker from New York Newsday. Taking a bite of the Big Apple. I uh, I think it's going to be an interesting series. I think it's the most compelling series of all the series in the NBA in the playoffs. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. But we'll see. We'll see. Mark Anazaro. Oh, Mark, it's Howard David. How are you? Good, Howard. How are you doing? You know, I envy you because you got to, you got to go to Augusta for a week and you got to see... Uh, what turned out to be one of the more memorable masters in the history of the event. Uh, which was the bigger story? Scotty Scheffler winning the green jacket or Tiger, or Tiger Woods making the cut? Well, I think, I think Tiger Woods playing in, in, in just period was, was, was really the biggest story of the week. And the fact that Tiger Woods got through four rounds at Augusta, which is one of the most hilly golf courses on the planet, um, that to me was was the lead story to the week. Um, no, no disrespect at all to Scotty Scheffler, who is on an absolute bender right now. You know, having won four out of six. But uh, I just think I think just the remarkable element uh, of Tiger only you know being just you know, you know less than fourteen months removed from that car crash. And uh, you know, I mean, that's you know, Augusta's a hard walk. You've been there. You've 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 done it. And. Uh, um, you know, it, you can't, it's hard to see on TV, and I know it sounds kind of trivial, or maybe people might laugh and say, oh, it's only a golf course or whatever. I get it. You know, I mean, it is only a golf course, and it's not like you're hiking up the Himalayas. But um, in, in, in terms of garf, golf parlance, so to speak, and it is, you know, a very, very hilly course with a lot of side hill lies and, and uphill, downhill walks. And when you, you know, you've had the trauma the Tigers had in that, in that right leg and foot, um, that was a big deal that he got through it, and so I think that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, making the cut obviously all part of it. The fact that he got to the weekend uh, was was amazing. After the first round, he was asked about what he's going to do now. He says, "Go get a lot of ice." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which which was obviously true. I, I was interested to see after playing pretty well in the first round, and his short game really uh, helped him a great deal in the first round. Uh, but his putter kind of betrayed him a little bit after that. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit of everything. I, I think I, I spoke to uh, to Joe Lacava, his caddy, um, after after it was all over on Sunday, and and you know, he said, "Look, you know, it, it eventually wore him down and got to him a little bit physically, you know, which you figure it would." Um, but I, you know, Joe also saw a lot of 
positive elements to what took place. You know, there were just some, there were a handful of shots that Tiger made that were, you know, in Joe's words, you know, the old Tiger, so to speak. You know, there were shots that you know shots that he would make when he had no physical ailments, and uh, you know, he also was encouraged by the length off the tee. You know, the Tiger was able to generate. You know, he was keeping up with Justin Thomas often in the practice rounds, and 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 Joaquin. Uh, Joaquin Neiman um, in the first two rounds they played together you know young guy so I mean I, I think that I mean, you just can't take anything but positive away from it um, you know it's interesting Howard you know I, you speak to what Tiger said after the round you know he you know Tiger and we've talked about this on your on your show a few times I mean he's been he's been intentionally keeping the expectation level down. He's been whatever, what he's been tr- doing what he can to do so anyway. Um, you know, he's totally trying to tamp it down and, and he, and he was so totally doing the same thing after the masters. You know, he, he made mention that he was planning on, on playing, you know, the open championship at St. Andrews, which is the golf tournament that I thought all along was going to be his target return time right. and place. Um, and we've talked about this that as well. Um, he said he's going to, you know, he's going to do what he can to try to make the PGA next month and uh, at Southern Hills. I, you know, my reading between the lines is there's no way he's going to have to have a significant setback for him not to be at Southern Hills. I mean, Tiger Woods is his entire existence right now in terms of playing golf is to try to pick off another major or two or three or whatever he can get, if if any. And I don't see him if he's if he's well enough to get around a golf course um, to skip any of them. And I, so I just can't unless there was a significant setback. I just don't see him skipping it. You know, I, I you know I don't I, I fully expect him to play. You know, the PGA, and I expect him to play the U.S. Open. As you well know, uh, and, you know, yeah, as you well know, talking to Mark Canizero of the New York Post. You get a lot of your distance from the leg drive, uh, and the mere fact that he was hitting it out there as far as he was, I, I was that that to me just knocked me out. I couldn't believe that he was able to drive it that far with the, with his legs in the shape they're in. Yeah, I mean, you know, we saw it. You know, he saw some some signs. You know, way back in December when he played the PNC father son thing with his son Charlie. I mean, his golf game looked pretty good that back then. Now, granted, that was not high stress stuff, right? You know, it was more, it was pretty, you know, as he was calling it, hits and giggles kind of thing. But, uh, um, but you know, just in general, watching him swing and hit the ball, he, he looked pretty good. I thought back then, and that was back in December. Um, you know, and just getting back to the walking thing too, again, you know, because that was always going to be the challenge was, was was him handling walking eighteen holes and then another eighteen the next day and then maybe another eighteen and another eighteen which he did. Uh, you know what Joe was saying was the one thing they took away was if he could walk that golf course Augusta for four days, he can walk any golf course. You know, I mean Southern Hills, even though it has the word hills in it, uh, it's not flat, but it's not as hilly and undulating as Augusta is. Um, and nor is the country club up in Boston, in Brookline, where the U.S. Open will take place in June. So um, I just think, barring any setbacks, uh, it would be it would surprise me. Listen, I, you know, you never know what goes through Tiger's head. But it would just surprise me that he would not play. He would skip any major at this point. I just think he's going to essentially play only the majors. You know, maybe you know, other than maybe his own tournament in in uh, December. You know, maybe he plays the Memorial. I don't know. I mean, you know, which he has. I don't think he will this year. Maybe maybe he'll get back to playing that. Um, so, I, I just, you know, again, I go back to it. I just, 
from what I saw last week at Augusta and the fact that he got through four rounds walking Augusta National, uh, it's difficult for me to believe that he won't be at Southern Hills next month. Mark, uh, as for the tournament, Scotty Scheffler came into the Masters on a hot streak. He had won, what, three tournaments, I think? Uh, yeah. And, but the way that the fourth round started out, Cameron Smith birdies, uh, picks up a shot at one and two. It's a one-shot lead. And the chip-in that Scheffler made at three, to me, was the turning point of the tournament. Well, it was just an it was the first of what I thought were two turning points. I think the, the final dagger turning point, obviously, was when Smith put the ball into Race Creek on number twelve. Right. But you know, even at that point, Scotty still had a you know he had a, a little bit of a stronghold still on the tournament. But there's no question that chip in on three was was an absolute momentum stopper for. Uh, for Smith, who I, if I'm not mistaken, and bogeyed three, so it was a two shot swing, and you know, almost all of a sudden it was, you know, a, a one shot lead was back to three, and, right. and you know, Scotty could breathe a little bit, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm so impressed with with you know, I, I've never done it, so I can't speak from experience because I've never really led anything. But uh, you know, when you when I speak to golfers who have you know tried to you know have you know they've been tasked to hold leads in big tournaments major championships that takes a lot out of you you know and tiger's talked about it over the years and i've spoken to other players about it it takes a lot out of you and scott you know scotty scheffler got the lead on friday and never never give it never never relinquished it and that is at, at augusta national where there's so many things that can blow up on you there and the, the the great dynamic of Augusta, as you know from covering it, Howard, and, and being there for a number of years, is it's the volatility level is incredible on both ends. You could make a huge number, but you you know on, on a number of holes because there's so much trouble that lurks. But you could also get on a great birdie run, you know, like uh, really like Cam Smith did on, on day one. I mean, he bogey double bogeyed his first hole, and then birdied eight out of his next sixteen holes. And that's why I thought when it got down to one on Sunday. Knowing how fearless Cam Smith is, because he really plays with just a fearlessness that I thought was was going to be successful at Augusta, and it had already had been. I mean, he was already runner-up once and tied for tenth last year. Um, I really felt, uh, you know, I just give Scotty Scheffler so much credit for, for for hanging in there and not, you know, not crumbling when it got to one shot. You know, um, he, you know, he, he carried on. He carried on with his business. Uh, Mark Canizero of the New York Post. Uh, we let's. I mean, he made it kind of fun at eighteen. He's got a pretty good cushion, and his little adventure putting on those slick greens. What did he? He had a double bogey at eighteen with about. A, was it a three or a four putt? I don't remember. Four putted, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, but he four putted and still won by three. So yeah. that's, that's a pretty good cushion, yeah. right? Yeah, and and who did he beat? Rory McIlroy, who had a phenomenal final round. I think it was sixty-five. Is that right? Sixty-four. Sixty-four. Yeah. yeah. I mean, McElroy played that day like we've been waiting for McElroy to play for a long time. The guy's a great player, okay? And we keep waiting for him to win a major or two, uh, you know, because he's got so much talent. You know, it's so weird. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm an optimist and a positive person by nature. Um, but, you know, the Rory detractors will say, well, that's great. You know, it came in a final round when he was a mile and a half back of the lead, you know, and there was no pressure. And you listen, you still have to post a number, you know, but, but Rory's 
his statistics are alarming at Augusta, you know, and, and, and he's, he, he, he traditionally does not shoot a good first round, you know, when you're trying to maybe get the pressure to kind of set yourself up and get yourself going, you know, he, you know, the last few years he's ended up coming back with really, really strong second rounds, you know, and it kind of backdoor his way into the tournament, so to speak. So I don't want to take anything away from Rory because first of all, I, I you know, I, he's, one of my favorite people to cover out there. He's just, he's, he's real and he speaks his mind. And, but you know, the, his, 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 the cynics will say, well, okay, he shot 64 when he had no pressure on him. He just was freewheeling it. And as we know, we both golf, you know, when you freewheeling it, you don't really care what your score is going to be. You know, you, that's, that's when you play your best. Right. So, um, Rory needs to do that on Thursday or Friday too. You know, he needs to do those and, and get himself in position because, I mean, you know, that was a classic. I mean, if there was ever been a backdoor runner-up in your in your lifetime, that was a that was it, right? I mean, you know, he, part of it was was Cam Smith, you know, kind of you know imploding on the last number of holes, starting with the twelfth, you know, with the triple bogey. But um, so, uh, you know, it's a weird, you know, it's a it's a weird dynamic. How do you look at that sixty-four? You know, Rory said he never felt better leaving Augusta than he did this Masters because of what he did. You know, well, of course, you know, when when any of us plays really well, you know, to close our round or whatever, we feel great coming off the golf course if we birdied 18 or something like that or whatever. But, you know, I think Rory, you know, he needs to, I, I want to say he needs to analyze, but I don't want him to overanalyze because I think Rory is best when he's, when he just lets his talent take over. And I think that's been part of his problem when he's struggling. He's, he's addressed that a little bit is that sometimes he gets too analytical. and uh, But he, he needs to figure out a way to, you know, keep the pressure off himself early on and, and freewheel it on Thursday and not wait till he's 10 shots back, you know? Uh, all the years you've been covering Augusta, have you ever played it on Monday, the Monday after? I have. Um, I've been lucky enough to do it three times. And uh, I've had varying experiences the first time I did it. I... Was in, I happened to have the shanks, and uh, I couldn't get a ball off the ground, and that was a bit harrowing. But uh, the last time I played, it was seven years ago, and I had a wonderful experience. I played really well and uh, hit the ball beautifully. I mean, I had, a, I had way too many putts, but those greens, you know, you were playing the, the Sunday pins, you know, so um, I wasn't going to kill myself for having 40 putts or whatever I had. What I, maybe it was more, I don't even remember at the moment. But uh, it was a great experience, and it really is... Uh, it's 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 a it's a magical thing that we're lucky to have a chance to do. For those of us who cover the tournament is to get into that lottery. Well, I uh, having worked for CBS, I got on the course twice. My first year, uh, coincidentally, was '86 when Jack Nicklaus won the tournament at the age of 46. Uh, and then five years later, uh, my boss called me from CBS said, "Bring your clubs. You're going to play on Monday." And you're gonna play. Wow. You're gonna play with Julius Irving, and I said, "Oh, okay." Mark, I'm standing that's on. A pretty, that's a pretty. Good, that's a pretty good program, Howard. Hey, I'm standing on the tee at number one, and you know this. You got the players come. They their sponsors come with them, so you got any people that are ringing the first tee as your name is being announced. And so Ju I said to Julius, "I said, go ahead, Doc. Why don't you take us out?" He goes, "No, no, no. You you lead us off." And I said, "Doc." These people didn't come here to see me. They came here to see you. you. He says, you're afraid. I said, no, I'm not afraid. I'm just giving you the respect you deserve. 
So at the time, Doc was a 15, I think. And he hit the ball down the middle. Not very far, but he hit it down the middle. And I get a, he says, and he says to me as I'm walking by him, he says, go ahead, beat that. Mark, If I, I'm standing on the tee, looking around, saying to myself, just hit it down there. <laughs> Anywhere, down there. Mark, I hit one of the best drives of my life, right down the middle, and I busted it. So we're walking down the fairway, and we come to Julius's ball, and he says, where are you? And I said, keep going. He goes, no, really. And I said, no, Doc, hit your ball. He hits his second shot. We're walking down the fairway. He goes, where's your ball? And I said, it's down there. He says, no. And I said, "Go that ball right there. It's a Titleist two with a black dot on it. Check it out. He went down there and he looked and he goes, what the hell? <laughs> so, <laughs> but to the, story, the big story about playing with him, and you know this, I think, that's Monday when they're cleaning up the golf course. He must have he must have been stopped a hundred times by the people cleaning up the golf course to either pose for a picture or an autograph or whatever. He he obliged every single person, said no to no one. I was so impressed with that. Yeah, you like you love that when guys, you know, don't don't forget where they came from. No, you're right. Before I let you go, you also cover the Jets, and the the uh, draft is the 28th of the month. A lot of speculation what the Jets will do with numbers 10 and uh, number four and number 10 in the first round. But let me ask you this: when they went after the Tyreek Hill uh, opportunity, had they included the 10th overall pick in the in the draft, would they have would that deal have gone through with Kansas City? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know. At the end of the day, Howard, it was really Hill's choice, you know, uh, where he wanted to go. I think it was less, you know, that was really what, what it was about. Um, but, you know, what that's left the Jets now as they, as they head into this draft is they really do need to get themselves some sort of good playmaker, um, playmaker receiver. I, I will be shocked if, if they stay at 4-10, and 10, I'll be some very surprised if they don't take a you know one of the top receivers in the draft um, in that spot because uh, they, they do you know obviously they need, they need to build around Zach Wilson, um, which is you know something they didn't do uh, when they you know when, when they had Sam Darnold you know so I, I I'm suspecting you know that the the, the fourth overall pick is probably going to be and you know if they can get an edge rusher out of there uh, maybe a Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. Um, you know, I don't think Hutchinson's going to be around there. You know, um, that Thibodeau is really good. I don't know. You know, and there are, I would look at cornerbacks as well. There's some really, really good cornerbacks in the draft. Um, so, but I think out of one of those first two picks, uh, they've got to, they, they have to, you know, they've got to address receiver. They, they, they got to find, they need to hit on, on a, you know, a, a playmaker, you know, and, and they try to hit, you know, they tried that with, with Tyreek Hill, but at the end of the day, Tyreek Hill wanted to go to Miami. I mean, that's really what it came down to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and look, the name Jameson Williams comes to mind, the kid from Alabama who got injured uh, late last year, but he's got all yeah. the tools to be electrifying. You just wonder, with the seriousness of his injury, if you would take that kind of a chance. Yeah, I mean, that's the dynamic of the draft, you know. With the, you know, I mean, you know, some teams pass up on players like that, and then again, these guys become amazing players, right? And, uh, and never, never have an injury issue again, um, you know. And that's something that you know that the Jets are going to have to address, or you know, or, or I'm sure are addressing right now in their 
in their meetings. You know, uh, do you go with the sure thing? You know, somebody who they think is, you know, or they they know is healthy, or do they go that route? You know, um, it's uh, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how that how it unfolds. You know, I mean, I, you know, just New York football alone. I mean, with the Jets and Giants having two picks, you know, so high. I mean, it's really it's going to be. A, <laughs> You know, I, I must, you know, full, full disclosure, I've never been a huge draft fan just because, you know, people are just kind of throwing spaghetti against the wall, you know, in their analysis to a large degree because nobody really knows. But I am quite fascinated with this this, this year's draft just because, you know, for New York, you know, you get Jets and Giants. I think got four out of the first, you know, 10 or so picks. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, and, and, and you know, they're going to be, in theory, you know, if it all works out for both of them, and hopefully it does, they're going to be picking some big-time players that are going to contribute right away. I, I would agree. Before I let you go, Mark, I, I want to ask, you've been doing this for a long time. I watched uh, an interview this morning, a, actually a press conference, with um, uh, Greg Popovich in San Antonio after they lost last night. And a report, <laughs> reporter asked him uh, what he was going to do after 26 years coaching the Spurs uh, was he going to continue to be the Spurs coach next year? And Popovich thought for a minute and then looked at the guy and he said, that's an inappropriate question. Now, that led me to thinking, all the years you've been covering and at press conferences, have you ever had an encounter with a subject that uh, kind of gave you a little bit too much gas? And how did you respond? Well, my favorite one is with Bill Parcells. Um, um he wasn't really, he was just short with me, but it was the year that Lawrence Taylor um, was suspended for the first four, four games because of substance abuse, the cocaine, cocaine or whatever, or whatever, whatever, a million substances he probably was abusing. And I was tasked, I was, before I came to the New York Post, I was working at a, at a, at a paper in New Jersey. Um, and I, one of the things I had to do, you know, it, it, was, it was near the end of the training camp, um, and everybody's doing their big features on the quarterbacks and the running backs, you know, the star players for their, we used to always do these special sections leading into the NFL season. So I was tasked with doing, I was doing a big, long Phil Sims takeout piece. Um, and I asked, you know, I asked Parcells down in the, this was the old giant stadium. The interview room used to be in the bowels of the stadium down with a, with a parking, you know, the, where the players and the coaches parked. And, uh, um, it was a big, long um, conference table, and I was kind of, with so many people there, I was kind of behind Parcells, and I asked him, you know, I, I just asked him a, a very generic question about Sims, and he said, he's doing fine. That was the only, that was the only answer I got out of him. And uh, obviously that wasn't going to help my story so much, right, uh, that quote. Um, so the next day I came back, and I asked him another question about Sims. And Parcells didn't really know, I was working in a small paper, so Parcells didn't really know me, you know, um, maybe recognized me and didn't really know who I was. And, uh, and, and keep in mind, this was kind of a, an, an aggravating period of time because he was getting pissed off about being asked about LT and, you know, he was being peppered about, you know, LT suspension and all that kind of stuff. So I asked him the next day a, a similar question about Sims and he, uh, can I, can I slightly curse on our podcast or no? We yeah, go ahead. Know. Whatever. It's, this isn't so bad, but um, he, he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, you, you asked me that same damn question yesterday. 
And I said, yeah, but you gave me a shitty answer. <laughs> and he looked at me, he took a pause, he looked at me and he goes, I like that. He goes, what's your name? And meanwhile, I'd been around there for a while, but he didn't pay attention to who I was because I wasn't one of the New York papers. I told him, and ever since then, I had his respect. I, I, and he knew who I was, and he addressed me by name. And then, you know, later on, I, you know, got a job at the Post, so I was in New York, and that was more relevant, so to speak, uh, I guess. And uh, But yeah, that was my, it was a little bit of a come-to-Jesus moment, you know, it was kind of like, it just came to me, I don't even know, I was surprised I even said that, because as you know, Parcells can be a pretty intimidating character sometimes, you know, And uh, but those kinds of guys, as you know from being in the business for so long, if you stand up to those guys, that you gain their respect, you know, the bullies will gain your respect if you slap back at them, right? Well, I'm going to give you a little a little something you're not aware of. When I was broadcasting the Jets, uh, you know, during the, when when they got to the AFC Championship game against Denver, um, look, I knew Bill from when he was a defensive coordinator with the Giants, so we, our history was pretty long. And we're having, uh, I'm doing an interview with him um, before I, I forget what it was. I was doing his coach's show. That's what it was, and we were having just this have a cup of coffee and just throwing the bull around. And I said to him, um, you really enjoy the back and forth with you and the and the reporters, don't you? He goes, yeah, I do, because I said, I said, and you're rough on them. And he goes, well, I'll tell you a story. There's a couple of reporters that are on the, on the beat, Gary Myers and you. And he said, those two guys... Uh, he says that they ask some rough questions, but when I shoot back at them and they follow it up with a comeback, they've earned my respect. So I think you should know that. Oh, that's interesting. That's nice. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I've, you know, I've, I've got, a, I've really developed a great relationship with them over the years. I just, I, I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was covering the, uh, the NC, actually quick, funny story. If you have a moment. Yeah. I'm sitting in my hotel room in San Francisco covering the NCAA tournament. I was covering Duke out there and Krzyzewski and his run. And uh, I uh, I had just finished prior the week that I was in Indianapolis covering St. Peter's, the amazing Cinderella story that right. you know the, the, from Jersey City. And my 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 cell phone rings. It's like six in the morning, you know, out in San Francisco, and it's Bill. And he's like, Mark, he goes, I got to tell you, he goes, I, I just, you know, this St. Peter's story, he goes, I love this story. It, I, he goes, it makes me feel like a kid again. He goes, it makes, it brings me back to the, the park I used to play, you know, four on four. And he, he was like a kid, Howard. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and you know, and you know this because he's a, he's an absolute sports junkie. He's a big sports fan, loves baseball, as you know. And I, I'm telling you, it was, it was the most amazing conversation. He it, literally, he was going back to his days playing four on four at Inglewood. Uh, you know, at the at, at this park, which I looked up later, and uh, it's still there. And the funny thing was, I had just thought the night before about calling Bill because I felt, you know, I was doing a big piece on Shashevsky, and uh, you know, obviously Shashevsky has, you know, you know, played at, at Army at West Point, and Bill was, right. you know, was a football coach there at the time that Bobby Knight was, was Krzyzewski's coach. And right. as you know, Knight, Bobby Knight and Bill are, you know, been tight over the years, extremely. So it was weird that he called because I was thinking about calling him for a Krzyzewski piece and he just randomly called me just to kind of like, 
invent and talk about St. Peter's because he was so jacked up about watching that run. And he had seen that, I, I think he assumed I was still covering him, but I wasn't in Philly with them for the, for the regional final. I was, you know, I'd gone out to, uh, to San Francisco. So I ended up writing a column on Bill and just that whole enthusiasm about what he was watching with St. Peter's. And I kind of tied in, you know, the Krzyzewski stuff and, 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 you know, what he, what he remembered about Krzyzewski at West Point and whatnot. But yeah, I, he's, he's a, I have always found him to be one of the most entertaining, uh, just, he's got such great perspective on stuff. You know what I mean? And that's why he was, that's why when he, when he first started not letting his assistant speak, it almost didn't matter because Parcells filled your notebook up. He was so freaking good. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, nowadays, you, you know, you got the assistants, you know, uh, you know, they don't talk, but the head coaches are boring and you get nothing out of it. Nothing. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a lose lose, but, uh, Parcells always to me was just so fascinating. He's always been, I love speaking to him. He's got such great perspective on stuff and he tells great stories as you know. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really, that was a fun little encounter, you know, that I had, uh, you know, he just randomly called me because he just, you know, I guess he must've seen that I'd been covering St. Peter's and just wanted to reminisce a little bit, you know? Well, he's a Jersey guy, uh, as you well know. Yes, absolutely. And so, uh, look, when I lived down in Florida, uh, we teed it up quite a bit at his place and then at my place as well. Uh, and a lot of the times, uh, we spent more time talking about things other than sports and football. He's a huge oldies fan from the 50s and 60s. And so we're playing golf, and maybe the fourth hole, he starts into singing some song, 50 song that I knew. And I said, do you think it's a pleasure listening to you sing? So he said, I'm trying to play golf here, coach. Give me a break. So... I, yeah, you know, he's a piece of work. Oh, he's he's he's, he's the he's uh, I we I've been friendly with him since 1982, when he was an assistant under Ray Perkins. Uh, yeah. So I mean, he's you're right. He's one of the five guys in my life that's had an impact on me uh, it, from the world of sports. It, with, well, yeah, four, you talk about what if moments, Howard. Okay. Right? And there there's every day there's what if moments in sports, but you just brought up '82, right? So he becomes the head coach in '83 of the Giants, and they go right. three twelve and one. Right. And you know everybody wants him out, and George Young wanted him out. Um, what happens if he gets fired there? Right. What happens? Is there a Bill? Do we know Bill Parcells? Does anybody even know who Bill Parcells is? Yeah. I don't and, know. You know but I mean, I mean, you think about those what if moments because I mean, he was he was very much on the verge of not getting a second year there. Well, he knew. George Young was interviewing, was sitting with Howard Schnellenberger in Florida. Yep. And uh, George Young at the time was 400 pounds. And he's sitting there in the hot weather with a trench coat on. And Parcells has got friends that are in the FBI. They called him and told him that they saw Schnellenberger and, uh, and George Young having lunch at a diner in Florida. Parcells confronted Young and said, is this true? And Young said, no. So he flat out lied to him, uh, and but yeah. the way he tells it, I want to say that one of the Maras stood up for him after the '83 season. It was Tim Tim Mara. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Tim Tim was his Tim was his ally in there. That was yeah. that was what it was, you know. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, obviously him and and I love George. You know, uh, you know George was great to us, and he was great entertainment. You know, and I can't speak to whether he lied or how much he lied. I mean, they all lie basically, don't they? So yeah. Um, 
you know, so, uh, but yeah, that, you know, Bill's relationship with George always was strained, uh, of course, as we all know. Uh, and, and that, you know, that was, that was the reason for it. We all, yeah, I mean, the what if, what, you know, what if, what if George got his way and got Schnellenberger? Does Parcells get another head coaching job? Does he ever win a Super Bowl or more? Yeah. You know, and now he's in the Hall of Fame. It's just the whole thing is just, uh, it's yeah. Listen, there's so many what ifs in sports. You know, yeah, there's no question. Every, what every if, day, there's a what if in sports. What know? if what if his his guys didn't fumble the ball away in the second half against Denver? He he. he I believe they would have won the Super Bowl. They were the best team. I, I think thought. they would have. Sure. I mean, listen, yeah. that was all. It was all his guys. It was Meggett and uh, and 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 uh, Keith Byers. Yep. You know. Yep. Um So yeah, it's just it's crazy. Always enjoy talking to you, my man. You stay safe. Uh, Hit him straight tomorrow. Thanks again for your time. All right. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon, Howard. You got it. He's Mark Canizero of the New York Post, taking a bite of the Big Apple with Mark. Always a pleasure talking to him. Pleasure talking to Barbara Barker of New York Newsday. Uh, She had her thoughts on the uh, Nets Celtics series. A quick word about that. This is the most compelling series of all. Of all. Most people... Don't think that the Nets can go from a play-in to the championship. I don't know that they can or can't. I will say this. This series is going six or seven games. Should the Nets emerge, look out. Look out. Because if they wind up in the next round after that with Miami, I think they can handle them. Look out. The team that I think is going to the Eastern Finals, without a doubt, is Milwaukee. The question is, who are they going to play? If it's the Nets, could be a replay of last year. Might be interesting. Thanks for your time. Thanks for helping me take a bite of the Big Apple. I'm Howard David, and you stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.